Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Hey, hey. Luke. What am I doing here? <laughs> and Crystal. I don't know what I'm doing here either. It wouldn't be the same without you guys. I don't want to do it so, if you guys are here. hang on. You're saying he's not paying us for this? No, I'm not. And was... yes, and this this time I want to point out that there is a recording device. As long as you're aware, it is being recorded. We're on it. I want to be upfront about it. But you promised me money. <laughs> I'm glad we have this recording device because now I can bring up the contract. <laughs> uh, I said you'd, I said you'd be paid at the time. I didn't say money was involved. Ooh, <laughs> gratuity. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are new to our podcast, Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film book and comic reviews with a healthy dose of our opinions thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com, which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. For this episode, we have a popcorn junkie where we'll be discussing the film Moon, and a roundtable follow-up on the Nerd Culture Podcast picks for the Academy Awards. Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? We'll Did see. they get it right is the important question here. <laughs> well, that's true. That's a very good point. Uh, but uh, in our previous episode, we had uh, a pics of who we wanted to win and who we thought the Academy would actually pick. Which is... gives us two ways to be right. That's right. And cause the Academy, <laughs> we're, they, we're hedging our bets. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty predictable. But uh, we'll go through that later on. So up first, we have Popcorn Junkie on Moon. Okay, Moon is a 2009 film from Duncan Jones, the son of David Bowie. It's pretty freaky Bowie. Also <laughs> called Zoe Bowie. But... <clears throat> yeah, but he changed his, changed his name because, let's face it, Zoe Bowie. Mm. Yeah, I'd change my name <laughs> if, you know, I was Zoe Bowie as well. But that's what happens when your parents are on drugs when they name you. <laughs> uh, it's written by Duncan Jones and Nathan Parker and it stars Sam Rockwell Kevin Spacey and Dominique McElligot. I hope I, I hope I said that right, Dominique. I'm sorry if I didn't. Nerd Culture Podcast <laughs> mispronouncing names since 2011. I know we're pretty hopeless, but I, I think that's right. No, no, no. You're pretty hopeless. <laughs> oh, I am pretty hopeless. I, I take that on the chin. I apologise. <laughs> okay, so Moon chronicles the story of astronaut Sam Bell, who is a miner in a pretty much automated base. He's alone on the base. He mines a gas that is sent to Earth and is what helps solve the energy crisis. Uh, he has a, a computer psychic called Gertie 3000 who assists him and sort of keeps him from dying of loneliness. Uh, it's a three-year contract, and he's at the end of his three years, and some strange stuff starts to happen. He starts to see um, what appears to be odd edits on his video feeds. Um, he sees, uh, starting to see like illusions and stuff like that, and it's it's really starting to get to him, and he's he's quite happy that he's only got two weeks to go. Um, and then he goes out to investigate one of the harvesters, uh, which are all named after the apostles, and uh, uh, has an accident. Then it all goes crazy from there. I think one of the first things I noticed about this film was uh, it appears as if Duncan Jones has decided to make a movie out of one of his dead songs. <laughs> I mean, this really is, it's like space oddity in movie in movie form um, he but did do some of uh, Bowie's video clips and stuff didn't he, he did yeah yeah, and he also um, managed Bowie's website and all the interactive part of that for, for quite a while as well so cool. 
Um, but yeah, this this idea of a lone space person, um, in this instance, stuck on a base on the moon. Um, yeah, it is very much uh, space oddity. It's very much Major Tom. It is very much Major Tom, but Major Tom done in uh, in movie form, and uh, yeah, I find that kind of kind of bizarre, but actually really kind of cool. Actually, it's as funny. Well. I, did, I didn't pick that at all because I kept seeing the comparisons to two thousand one. Very much a late. Uh early late 60s early 70s science fiction film which was yeah. more about social uh social awareness plus also rising technology plus not driven so much by the need to um by the need for um big action set pieces the way you know when star wars came along that sort of changed the game a bit but yeah. you know yeah it's more, more the dark star than more, the, the yeah star wars. well the philosophical yeah, the more aspect. philosophical approach um, that was uh, pretty much from 2001 mm. up to Star Wars, mm. when Star Wars changed the game completely. Mm. There's a bit um, of a compromise between the both because it's not as slow as 2001, but it's not action-packed like Star Wars either. Mm. True. But it's um, it's also very character-driven. I mean, it's mm. obviously, it's one guy and his computer, yeah. basically. So um, the certainly the film that I saw the most comparison with would be um, a film called Silent Running with Bruce Dern, which is similar in that it does feature one man uh, in Silent Running, he's on a space station where he's looking after the last of Earth's forests. Mm. Um, and he has three robot companions mm. called Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And mm. so you can sort of see that there's a, a similar sort of thing. It deals a lot with... But thankfully um, not as boring as Silent Running. Hey, Silent Running is awesome. Mm. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's very, very much dealing with, you know, isolationism and, mm. uh, and, and the effects. Yeah, very much a sort of cabin fever type mm. effect that... And I mean, cabin fever is in... Uh, the, the psychological, psychological disorder, not cabin fever, that god awful uh, horror film that came out a few years ago. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. Yeah. Um, the, but interesting, the difference between this and Silent Running in terms of the characters that Silent Running starts off with Bruce Dern actually committing murder, and that's what leads it. Whereas this actually starts off with mystery and Sam, the name of the astronaut, the, the astronaut, sorry, actually having a few questions about his own existence, particularly after the crash. Yeah. And so it's more about Sam coming to terms with his own, and I'm trying to say this without giving the game away. It is, it's kind of hard to talk about the film without discussing the central idea of mm. the film itself, which is identity. Yeah. And the reason why that is called, in, called into question. So uh, we're going to call spoiler alert here, and uh, basically we'll, we'll, if you want to skip to the ratings, mm. <laughs> do so now. Um, but uh, essentially we're going to go from where, this, where the story sort of diverges after the crash. So after the crash, uh, it is revealed that Sam is in fact a clone, and he finds that out from the, he gets saved by another version of him, another clone version of him who goes out and saves him and brings him back to the base. And then there's then there's a mystery of, of why there's clones and stuff. So we won't go you know, fully into detail with that, but basically, essentially, Sam and all the Sams before him were all clones. Mm. And that's and that's really one of the interesting things because the whole the central relationship in the story. Is one go- is between one guy? Yeah, think about it. It's, a way, it's one guy relating to himself. Um, yeah, but, but an earlier version of but that's early, right. Early that's the fascinating thing. Is an earlier version. It's like he talks. He talks a lot about how mm. when he first got to the base, it was he was just you know he was an angry, mm. horrible person, mm. and his wife was actually glad that he was going mm. in a way because it's, it's you know it's a chance for it to for him to get away and grow and stuff like that. Mm. And then he's dealing with the original Sam, well, not the original Sam, but the Sam that we know from the start of the film, mm. who's, you know, been there for three years and has grown and has mm. developed and is a lovely, wonderful person. Mm. And it's quite sad what happens mm. to him. But 
it's you know it's mm. very interesting yeah, um, but to get back to the process of making between this and Silent Running, Silent Running starts off with Bruce Dern actually committing murder to ensure that you know, the hydroponics that he's um, carefully set up don't get destroyed, don't get destroyed whereas this mm. actually starts, sets up with the idea, well, who is Sam and what? It starts off with him with, with mystery, mm. um, and that's what really propels um, the narrative. He's not trying to protect himself so much, he's actually trying to understand mm. and come to terms with um, as you've said, with who he is and his and his actual identity, mm. um, which creates for you know a fascinating conflict, a, gr- a, a really interesting conflict, when the two Sams actually do come together, mm. and you've got fit and healthy Sam um, wanting to be a bit more proactive um, and wanting to go out and investigate, and the older Sam who's very slowly deg- um, degrading, yeah, um, and just wanting to not just live out the rest of his days and not. Yeah, well, he basically just wants to go home. Just basically wants to be done with it. With his slippers. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and, it's, and it's never specifically said, but it's quite obvious that the clones have a three-year yeah, lifespan and that he's he's mm. slowly mm. dying. And, yeah. uh, and it's a credit to Sam Rockwell because he gives yeah. two magnificent performances. Yeah. Um, she would have paid twice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, both as, you know, healthy Sam, but um, as uh, sick Sam, yeah. He's, it's really quite touching to watch. Yeah. Um, his his descent, you know, props also to the makeup guys as well for really making. But you really believe that this man is unwell and that he will die. Yeah. Um, and it's an incredible performance that should have been recognised, I think, by the Academy, mm. um, because it he manages to to do a lot of different things. Well, Sam, Sam Rockwell is one of those actors for me that he's just he's always good. Mm. I mean, he's always good in whatever he's in. Even if the film around him is not quite up to scratch, even when he's not asked to carry the film, like in Galaxy Quest, as yeah. you know, Guy Flanagan, he's still immensely watchable and highly entertaining. Yeah, yeah. so um, even, even when he's not the main character, mm. but in this, he's, it's his this is his moment to shine, mm. in my opinion. This is, and it's, yeah. and uh, even even more so than I think um, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which mm. he does once again. Brilliant. See, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, though, a lot of the, whilst he was great in that, a lot yeah. of it, a lot of about a lot of the stuff around that film was it's George Clooney's first effort as a director. That's right. Whereas um, Sam Rockwell is actually asked to carry the film. He's got no one to rely yeah. on. The film, the film succeeds or fails based on his performance. Mm. Yeah, and it's actually, point. and it's all another credit to Duncan Jones. He actually wrote um, a, a really good character for him. Mm. And um, even and the better known actor Kevin Spacey, you don't even actually see Kevin Spacey. Mm. Although mm. I'd have to say at the start of the film, Kevin Spacey is uh, quite creepy because of the two thousand one connection. You expect <laughs> him to go off in that way, and and they play on it. There's that nice shot where. Um, Sam's actually investigating, trying to work out what happens, and you get Gertie coming up behind him. Yeah, mm. the arm. And, and you expect Gertie to go to become like Hal. You can't do that, Dave. And <laughs> instead, um, you know, goes, "No, I'm going to help him." Yeah. And, and it's quite a it's quite a nice little moment. So Duncan Jones fully knows what um, the audience expectation is, yeah. but doesn't. Um, become a slave to it yeah. you know tries to subvert it when he can oh, the, the whole Gertie Hell mm. connection is awesome you know, yeah. I, love the, the, I love the little Gertie little, the, uh, the little face on mm. it so yeah. instead of the impersonal red eye mm. which I mean as soon as the minute you see Hell in, mm. the, in the film you know something's up because mm. <laughs> like this, this devil red eye it's like why would you do that yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Gertie's got that cool smiley face that changes expression mm. that the little, the little cartoon face that he changes expression the... depending on what's happening around yeah. him it's, it's, it's awesome stuff mm. he does have that little blue lens though, he does have the blue, he does have the blue yeah. lens yeah which... but once again that's playing to the audience expectation yeah. and then that's subverting right. that expectation mm. which uh, yeah. yeah is actually quite an impressive feat 
Um, Gertie's brilliant as, as a character. Mm. I, I really, I really, really like it. And I, I like, I like the fact that, like how he has, he basically has the same programming. He's basically mm. he's there to protect and serve the crew, mm. and, but he actually takes it the complete opposite to where Paul Hal does, mm. where he he goes so far as to say, "Well, okay, well, if my job here is to protect and protect Sam, mm. then I'm going to do everything I can to help no, him because yeah. he's clearly in pain, mm. and mm. not just in physical pain; he's in emotional in pain. pain as well." So. I need to help him here, and mm. to do that, I have to go against my creators. Mm. Yeah. But he's not got. Awesome. But he's still working with the parameters of his programming. Yeah. Because you know he's still programmed to actually make sure that the person who he's looking after is still functioning. Yeah. Um, which is, it's not one that's you know highlighted to a certain degree, but it's an interesting thing to. Well, it's, it's pretty safe to assume that he one of the part of his programming is that he's specifically told not to tell Sam that he's a clone. Sure. Yeah. And yet, that's exactly what he does, because Sam is clearly upset hmm. and needs to know. Yeah, the pro- so, you know, he tells Asimov's first law almost in play. You know, you, yeah. will, you don't harm, no, no robot shall harm through action. Exactly. Or in action shall harm humans. And that's right. Through an action, he will harm a human. So it's actually, you know, a nice, you know, you know a nice science fiction rule applied and actually used quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of the other things that I really appreciated was the use of models. Yeah. And practical effects. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see, um, you know, a remote-controlled, um, um. Uh, um, uh, you know, Gertie was uh, fully practical, but also um, the rover that they used to walk, to go around on Mars, and the um, the pylons that they go out to and um, to patch up or investigate. All practically done. Not yeah. there, there. There might be some CGI tampering to make you know sure that the oh, there's clearly some CGI bits. But mm. the bit where the rover crashes into the mm. spire, mm. that's all model work. Yeah, and that, but, that was awesome stuff. But that helps to add to the reality of the situation. Yeah. You know, you're not taken out. You're not taken out by suddenly you know a glittering example, of, a glittering um, machine created on a computer. Yeah. You know, there's a bit of dust and a bit of grain. And it actually makes you sort of... Gertie's actually got coffee stains. Yeah. And a kickbee side on the back, which is gone. Mm. (laughs) Models models actually give genuine depth. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, CGI is advancing in leaps and bounds every day, but I still don't think that they have quite that level of actual depth Mm. in the CGI work. You know, that three-dimensionality that, you know, an actual three-dimensional model gives you. I don't think CGI is quite there yet with, Mm. with achieving that. Um, and so it's good to see, especially in a film of this nature, that they did use the practical effects because that actually then reflects upon, um, I think, on the film as well and on mm. the, the themes behind the film. Yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, I kind of agree. Any CGI that's used where the actor has to interact with it, I think, doesn't quite work, yeah. except maybe for Minority Report. I think that works quite well. Um, but the, the, even that has a certain unreality to it. Yeah, but that's just because we just know it doesn't doesn't exist. So, I mean, in our minds, we know that's not actually real technology, and oh, so it looks kind of weird. I was convinced that Sam Rockwell was talking to Sam Rockwell. Mm. Mm. I was pretty happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the split-screen stuff they did very well. Yeah. That's pretty, yeah, like when they're fighting and stuff. And yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's clearly they've got a substitute in and but stuff. But it that's, still looks pretty cool. That's And that's another, again, another testament of the film. It's just a really good example of good old-fashioned filmmaking. Mm. You know that 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 fight scene you're talking about is actually very well directed. Mm. It's very well shot because you know you would have to not just have Sam Rockwell; you have to have a stand-in for him, mm. and to and a stand-in from in different places so that you know he can do be healthy Sam, be sick Sam, and then get coverage for all that. But it's also really well edited, mm. um, 
and that's that's a, that's, a, that's a testament to you know the filmmakers instead of going the easier route with some of this stuff. They, My favorite interaction is actually when um, Six Sam's gone a bit childish and he's I mean he's just found out who he is and and uh, he puts on the music the mm. Walk It On Sunshine yeah. and and healthy Sam is trying to talk you know calmly trying to trying to calm mm. down and talk to him and <laughs> they just their interaction there is is really quite well done. Mm. As I mean it's it's it would have you know been days apart in shooting or even mm. weeks apart in shooting and uh, it all comes together quite well I think. Mm. One of the things that I have to give credit to this film for is that it shows that with a really interesting idea, some interesting philosophical questions and uh, you know, good script, good acting and good directing, that you don't actually need to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to create a good science fiction film. Hmm. Um, I mean, this came out, Moon came out um, the same year as uh, District, Nine. District 9 and yeah. Avatar. And that was very much the start of the resurgence of science fiction. Mm. Um, to the point now where we're absolutely saturated with with science mm. fiction movies over the last few years. Um, but it's just interesting, whereas, you know, Avatar, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars and certainly made billions of dollars uh, and has become the most successful film of all time. Um, so it, it's interesting that at one end of the scale you have Avatar with its big CGI work and its 3D and all of that. At the other end of the scale, you have this very low-key, small-budget film mm. that, yeah, does highlight that there is such a great range to science fiction filmmaking and that you don't have to be the James Cameron, you know, $300 million honest, budget. Let's say, I mean, Moon is a better film than Avatar. And it'll yep. be interesting to see how <laughs> it's... back on if it stands the test of time. Like, yeah. Blade Runner wasn't a big success when it came out. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, where, where, where will people be, you know placing this film in you know, the sci-fi movie canon 20 well, I, years I from now. I think Duncan Jones is on a bit of a roll. I mean, mm. he's, he's, he's done this, he's done Source Code, and... Um, you know, Mute, which is meant to be set in the same universe as Moon. Moon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is meant to be on its way, too. And that, that that I've always been sort of interested, more interested in that than Source Code, I must say. Yeah. Well, Source Code, I mean, like, it was we, bad, we reviewed, it Source Code was good. Mm. Yeah. It, was, it was a good, you know, popcorn film. But I, I enjoyed it. Mm. it was good. I mean, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't think it was as good as Moon, but it's mm. it's... Yeah, you know, mm. still good, and uh, I, I do. I look forward to mm. to your next one. It's really yeah. good. Well, after yeah, after Moon especially, so Source Code wasn't bad, but you know the ending for me sort of spoiled it a little bit. But um, but he's certainly a director that I will continue to, you know, pay attention to what he's doing and continue to look out for his movies mm. without yeah. a doubt. Well, just, uh, before we finish up, I just I just want to also mention the soundtrack. Uh, I really mm. like the soundtrack mm. and the use of the soundtrack. Yeah, the minimal, the minimal, the um, minimal. Very minimal. I really like the melody at the start mm. um, during the, the opening credits and stuff like that. I also quite like the opening credits, the, mm. the way that... I've always been a fan of that for some reason. I'm not too sure why. You see, it works <laughs> because that in that credit sequence, they're actually establishing his daily routine. Yeah. Um, and so they're not wasting story time by, you know, having to establish it. it it's... They do it there, which is the best place for it. Um, yeah. And it's and, also got that lost sort of thing where the text is not just... On mm. straight on the screen, it's like it's on objects yeah. and stuff. I, you know, I'm a fan. I'm not too sure <laughs> why that is, but uh, yeah, the soundtrack I thought was was really good. Some I mean, I, I, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I hum the <laughs> hum the melody, mm. you know, after the film is done. That was quite cool, and uh, and of course, yeah, just the magnificent performance from from Stockwell. I mean, it's just it's pretty stuff. I watch it, I watch anything he's in. I don't care. I watch Charlie's Angels because he was in it. Yeah, he's not bad in that. Because, you know, <laughs> confessions of a dangerous mind. It, it, yeah. It's actually sort of a bit sad. He's he's really good in this. Mm. Um, but then only tends to get cast mainly as supports in, 
to others. You know, he's the support in the assassination of um, Jesse James. He's the support in Frost Nixon, and you know, a film like this actually shows that he's he's acting as a, of a quite high standard. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so uh, to be fair to Frost Nixon, I mean, the the two main actors are actually quite good as well. Oh, they're, they're, they're <laughs> well. So that's Frank right. Langella, you know, is also is terrific in Frost Nixon. Yeah. But it it, it a film like this shows, you know, we, Sam Rockwell should have actually have a, a much Large you should, career. Sam. We should get. We will campaign for you on your behalf. That's right. Give Sam more jobs. Just before we finish up, it, it's actually interesting with this. Going back to what we said earlier on about you know the the two thousand one the silent runnings, um, sort of being more the more philosophical blend and everything sort of changing with Star Wars and you know going for the more action heavy. At the time, you know Avatar, District Nine, you know were, were more action oriented films, and this was you know sort of a bit more left to feel, a bit more deeper for one of a, lack of a better term. Um, slightly more character driven and it's interesting that what that, that the Avatar District 9 thing of the action dominant driven science fiction film is still actually was quite prevalent John Carter is about to open um, in, Australia, in Australia it's opened, already opened overseas and you know being hyped as you know the next big thing since Avatar the, the, the more quieter science fiction films uh, have still yet to sort of find their feet the last one that I remember seeing was Monsters which wasn't very good um I just, I just think that's kind of in, kind of interesting that what happened again you know 30 years ago was still actually happening we're still going for big budget over the top action sci-fi and sort of ignoring the smaller more introspective stuff and most of the time more interesting stuff mm. although District 9 was kind of interesting I suppose I like District 9 yeah. ratings interesting. on Moon not District 9 <laughs> uh, I give Moon four looks I'm very impressed with uh, the film I, I, I love this kind of 70s approach to science fiction and I love that period of science fiction and the fact that he's able to harken back to that whilst creating a new movie um, for the modern era I think is very impressive so yeah four Luke's for exactly the reasons Luke just said because of the introspection and it's, it's character driven it's not action driven mm. and uh, it's suspenseful and there's a mystery and you've got your mind working the whole time that's exactly the sort of film I, I, I give it I hesitate to say five Luke's alright wow Five big looks. It, it's um, going to become one of my all-time favourites, I think. I've seen it twice now. Mm. Happy to see it again and again. Mm. And also, it's just what Richard said too about going back to the 70s science fiction. It's 70s science fiction, but done with really good special effects. Like, you could believe you're actually on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And doesn't actually, you, you don't sit there going, oh my God, this is just a homage to... 70s yeah. science fiction. You can oh, see the influences, it, but at the same time... It's its own unique film. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it looks like it was shot on the moon. Mm. <laughs> it actually it was. Little known fact. <laughs> Duncan Jones flew to the moon. That's why... Made the film. Yeah. That's why the blue we know it. that's not true. On the secret moon bases that uh, the untruth. government set up in the 70s. They used yeah. David Bowie's space shuttle. <laughs> exactly right. And look... Um, pretty much agree with what everyone said. Um, I give this four looks. I do like it. Uh, it takes a little while. I, I found the first one took a little while to get going, but once it did, um, was pretty much with it to the end. Um, yeah, one of the best films that has come out in the past two or three years. Oh, I'm also going to go with Four Luke's. It's uh, yeah, it's great stuff. Highly recommended. I feel like right now that now that we've done that, um, there should be a little sound bite of Bowie's in space. <laughs> Bowie's in space. Used his telescopic nipple antenna to get the live feed happening. Okay, coming up next, a round table. When that's a round table, we dance where we're able. 
we do routines and all the scenes of footwork impeccable. We dine well here in Camelot, we eat ham and jam and spam a lot. For this round table, we're going to be looking at a follow-up on our Academy Awards thing from last episode. Uh, we uh, predicted who we thought the Academy would pick, and we also put in our um, very valuable opinion on uh, who we think should win. So the Academy Awards were shown uh, last weekend, and the winners were revealed. For Best Actress, we wanted Viola Davis for The Help, or Meryl Streep for Iron Lady. And we thought the Academy would actually pick Meryl Streep for Iron Lady. And the winner was Meryl Streep for Iron Lady. Yeah, she has a lot of points in the points system. Mm. Uh, I don't think anybody has as many points as Meryl Streep had. <laughs> uh, she's been nominated 400,000 times. <laughs> 400,000. She's actually been nominated more times than there's been Academy Awards. I think that's an exaggeration. I think on the ballot sheet they just have her name and every year they write whatever <laughs> film she's in next to it. How many um, nominations is it actually? It's like 50 or something? Something like that. I think it's 12. Something yeah, like that. So. But she hasn't actually won Best Actress <laughs> since... Um, uh, Sophie's, Sophie's Choice in 1982 so yeah it was pretty much bad to happen eventually <laughs> and just like Rockwell <laughs> she's always good so True. it's it's, uh, it's about time Sorry, um, was... ultimate movie would have Sam Rockwell and Meryl Streep in it that'd be cool <laughs> as isolated parliamentarians struggling to rule the England moon? from afar <laughs> from the moon with an iron fist <laughs> Yeah, and a robot companion. Yeah, Meryl Streep should have been the voice of Goody. <laughs> yeah, because that Kevin Spacey, he's a hack. <laughs> he's not that good. Come on. But uh, yeah, look, this was uh, this was not a bad choice. Hmm. Yeah, I'm happy. You know, um, I I would have preferred uh, Viola Davis, yeah. but you know, there's no shame in Meryl Streep winning an Academy Award. That's for sure. No, that's a fair choice. No one was actually going to debate that. No. Okay, for Best Actor, uh, NCP wanted either Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or Jean Dujardin for The Artist. And who we thought they, the Academy would pick would be George Clooney for The Descendants. But happily, the Academy uh, proved us wrong. I'm happy to be wrong in this mm. case. And the Best Actor was, in fact, Jean Dujardin for The Artist. Yay! Yeah, this is really one of those triumphs, I think. Mm. It was... Everybody was raving so much about George Clooney, and, and having seen The Descendants, I was just thinking, no, no, no the man does not deserve. Now, look, George Clooney is a, a very good actor, in my opinion. Yeah, but he didn't deserve the Academy Award for this particular, for this particular yeah. movie. He's done, he's done better, better jobs. It he wasn't that done. outstanding, was it? No, not at all. So it's good to see yeah. Jean Dujardin actually, uh, you know, defy the odds and actually yeah. win this award. I mean, I would have preferred so. Gary Ott to get Gary Ott. As would I, but um, there's, yeah. once again, there's no shame here in Jean Dujardin. Yeah. He put in a brilliant performance. In it's the, not the Gwyneth Paltrow level of no. shame. No, yeah. no, he brings a lot of he, he brought a lot of charisma to the role. And as I said in the previous podcast, he's actually got a very tough job because he's got no dialogue to back to fall back on. So he's got That's no right. clever line yeah. or. Um, it's basically one with his face. Yeah, he just he's actually got to rely on his face and not not ham it up and mug. Hmm. Um, they should have made it even harder and put a mask on him. But the great thing, the, the great thing about it is though, <laughs> Johnny's visor. Yeah, Johnny's visor. The, the, the V for Vendetta mask. Oh, the Guy Fawkes mask. That would be hilarious. Now act. Let's see how good you are. <laughs> well, one of the great things he, he does actually uh, ham it up and mug. At, at the when appropriate times, yeah. you know, when he's yeah. when he's on set, when he's playing to the crowd and everything. Mm. Yeah, but the, opening, the opening bit at the 
at the premiere. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Gold. But then the, right from the start. Yeah. But then the scenes where he's alone or when he's in his private life. And, and stuff. Yeah. And you, and you can see just yeah. the range of acting that he has in both those type of scenes throughout the film, I think is fantastic. Especially yeah. the interaction with his wife where she's just saying, will you just, will you just talk to me? Yeah. And he's just, you know, just blank faced. Yeah. And I was like, this is brilliant stuff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So well done, Academy, for not picking George Clooney. <laughs> Sorry, George. Or Brad Pitt. Or Brad Pitt, yes. See, now that Brad Pitt would have been the Gwyneth Paltrow level of the yeah. Absolutely, well, it would have not, been. If they, if they had picked him for Tree of Life and not Moneyball, it might have been different. That's yeah, a good they point. Really, yeah, they really did pick him for the wrong film, didn't that they? That is a good point. But there was a lot of that this year. Then on to Best Film, uh, NCP wanted the artist to win, but we, but we did think that the Academy would pick either The Descendants or The Help, uh, two safe choices. But uh, once again, happy to prove them wrong. Best film was The Artist. Yay. The power of the Weinsteins at work right there. <laughs> not, that I, not that that's a bad thing, because you know, I actually think that The Artist should have won, um, given the dismal crop of nominees. But yeah, that's, it, 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 it is a good film, but it's also power to the, um, the testament to the power of the Weinsteins' ability to lobby. Yeah, well, And they are very good at it. Yeah, I... but they've lobbied for other films before that haven't really deserved it and didn't no, win, so I'm happy but, for that. But their track record overall has been pretty good over the last 15 years I actually years quite like so. the Weinsteins. <laughs> they, 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 do, they do a lot of good. You know, they do a lot Even of... Even though they're... A lot of dodgy, dodgy stuff as well, but still. What uh, I appreciate with this film winning Best Picture is that it shows that the Academy actually is willing to acknowledge genuine creativity. Yeah. And, you know, a film that is, you know, a, a bit outside of the box and not quite the norm. As yeah, opposed but, to, say, last year where, you know, The King's Speech, which was a perfectly serviceable film, but very much, you know, by the numbers, really driven more by good performances. Yeah. Whereas there were certainly more creative films with things like uh, Black Swan mm. that actually weren't uh, weren't given the awards. So it, it's good to see that they've actually looked at a film that is being very creative, very different and very unique and gone, yeah, we can actually give that best picture. Yeah. And it might get more viewers now because now it's the Oscar winning. Yeah, exactly. Although it, it, it may not have before. There was yeah. a, a thing in the um, thing on uh, the net, one of the news postings actually talked about the fact that unlike in the past where if you got an Oscar nom or an Oscar win, your film would get a little bit of a bump um, at the box office. That actually hasn't happened with a lot of the films. This year, like, it hasn't happened with The Artist, it hasn't happened with The Descendants. Too many people yeah, illegally people aren't downloading. Going, yeah, people mm. aren't going to the films now. They're, mm. they're either illegally downloaded or they'll yeah. actually comes out in Blu-ray, which is mm. better quality than actually going to the cinema. Mm. Mm. And plus, you know, if, if that's the case in Australia, if it was, was that an Australian news article? I actually can't remember. I think, I mean, no, I think it was an overseas. It was an overseas cause if it was, it was an Australian article, I can understand it because, I mean, we got up close and personal or whatever that rubbish was called. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Who cares? But, I mean, we got it... With three days before three days before the Academies were even shown I mean it's, yeah. it's like well the reverse does happen I mean, tomorrow when the war began has just come out in the states yeah so it's no town yeah. yeah so it just just got released but that's very rare though and the, oh. and the other reason that it's good for the artist to win is, is because it's essentially a love letter to Hollywood anyway mm. I mean it's mm. a love letter to, to film yeah and um, uh, and uh, Luke made a very good point though given the very really? very poor <laughs> yeah it happens <laughs> it happens from time to time no I'm kidding you know, mm. given the pretty poor selection of films mm. this year, and as we mentioned on uh, on our previous Academy show, 
uh, there were at least five films that we could think of that should have been nominated but weren't, yeah. including things like Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. Yeah, it's just good to see that the actual film that did deserve to win actually got it. And But I'd be interested to see what would have happened had, you know, those better films actually been nominated <laughs> as well so that people didn't have to choose between pretty middle-of-the-road films like The Descendants and Moneyball and War Horse and... Yeah. I actually think The Descendants was slightly above average. I thought Whereas, it was, you know, Warhorse and... Uh, I felt it was very, 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 very by the numbers. Mm. Yeah. With some good acting, really. Yeah, that's pretty um, much it, really. The acting saved yeah. the day. Especially from George and from the, the girl. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I apologise, I can't remember your name, but yeah. you did a good job. But, uh, yeah, but it is, yeah, good. just good to see that uh, they're acknowledging creativity. Yeah. Okay, so next up uh, was Best Director. So the NCP wanted... Um, Michelle Hazanovicius. For the artist and who we thought the academy would pick was the same um and luckily we were right this time uh, uh, i'm glad that it's you know the, the film the director of the mm. film that won deserved to win so <laughs> i'm cool yeah, with that absolutely right and i'm yeah. glad they didn't give just scorsese or spielberg because they just they well, deserve it no, well scorsese scorsese finally got his academy award only mm. uh what three years ago three years ago for yeah. the departed so um his points have now been wiped out. Um, <laughs> he's got to start from scratch. He's got to start from scratch. He should have won it, you know, for much earlier films. Uh, look, there's there's at least five or six films that we could uh, <laughs> acknowledge he should have won it for, but uh, it ended up being The Departed. So I, I was fairly confident they weren't going to give him another one so quickly. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, once again, the artist uh, deserved the Best Director yeah. Award. It was a brilliantly directed movie. Uh, yeah. Beautifully shot. Um, you know, he got the most out of his cast. Mm. Um, he told the story perfectly. Yep. So, fantastic. With nothing but images and music. Yeah. And used sound very effectively mm. in a song. Absolutely. Movie. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Great work. Points to the man whose name Dave can't pronounce. No. Michelle has unambitious. I just refused to even try. Uh, now, we didn't, uh, in the last episode, we didn't cover the supporting. Um, actors and actresses. But I do just want to point out um, the winner of the Best Supporting Actress, um, Octavia Spencer, for the uh, the help. Brit. <laughs> so she was a shoo-in. Yeah, she, she, I mean, she, she deserved Practically she deserved stole the award. show. Yep. So the, I mean, even though uh, Marola Davis didn't win, at least somebody did, and mm. uh, she deserved it. It was mm. good. And points to Christopher Plummer as well for Best yeah. Supporting Actor, because there's a guy that's being neglected for far too many years far by the Academy the, Board. The, the thing about the best, support, best Supporting Actor category, it's also got guys like Max von Sydow. Yeah. So it was pretty much just loaded with people who had probably should have won an Academy Award decades long ago. ago. Decades ago, yeah. But it also had Jonah Hill in it for Moneyball. I mean, that's a pretty big step up. I mean, he's gone from, you know, super bad and 40-year-old virgin and all mm. that, you know, stuff to an Academy Award nomination. And thankfully he didn't win because I, I, his performance wasn't Academy-worthy. It wasn't Academy-worthy, but it was still pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, points, points to him for getting to that point. If it had been his first ever role, I would have thought, why, what the hell's going on here? Why is he getting nominated? It's and really now just, he's following up... Uh, mm. Isn't he now following that up with 21 Jump Street? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> with, um, but, if you, but knowing his body of work, it's actually pretty impressive. Mm. But then, so, which, uh, 21, is he going to be the, the Peter Deloitte's character? I have no idea. I, I have no interest. No, it's two different characters. I actually, oh, yeah. I actually was never a fan of the show and have no interest in the movie whatsoever. Yeah, but you've so. got to jump. <laughs> it's, it's Apparently, not, I do. It's, no, it's not set in the same universe. It's just the concept of getting two rookie cops to infiltrate, the school, infiltrate yes. schools. 
but they actually they play up on the fact that neither of these two guys it's it's Johnny Hill and um, Channing Tatum and Channing Tatum don't look young at all that's <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous they is both it, clearly are adults is it meant to be like, like Starsky and Hutch you know, yeah it's like yeah, it's meant a, to be a sort of mm, comedy sort of mm, take off type deal yeah. a male version of it looks terrible What's that Drew Barrymore film that did a similar thing a few years back? Never Been Kissed? Never Been Kissed. Yeah. That sort of approach. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. But then, I mean, it could be worse. I mean, he could have followed up an Academy Award winning performance with a performance in the movie Your Highness. (laughs) 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 Oh, Oh, Your Highness. I wish I could erase it from my brain. Anyway. And that's our follow-up on the Academy Awards. So, yeah, we, we did pretty well, I suppose. I'm pretty happy with it. I'm lucky. We're so, lucky we didn't put any money down, but... Uh, so, I, well, either our insight into this is pretty impressive, or the Academy Awards are just unbelievably predictable. <laughs> it's just... A, it's Could a, be a bit of both. I'm on the Give them a bit of colour B, a little bit of colour B. Hmm. <laughs> Up next, a, uh, another roundtable uh, where we discuss Big Ass 2. Big Ass 2 is uh, a comic launch of uh, strain comic artists and writers. Uh, it's um, a follow-up from last year's Big Ass 1. Uh, last year only had, I think it was uh, six or so titles. Uh, but nine. Nine? Nine in uh, total last year. This year had uh, 15. That's right. So it's uh, more creators getting on there, and uh, it's quite impressive. Uh, Richo and I attended uh, yesterday. I was at a restaurant, local restaurant, and uh, it was quite a good turnout. It was an impressive turnout, definitely. Um, What impressed me was... A a couple of things really impressed me. First of all, um, credit to the creators and the sheer diversity of books that were available. Yeah. I mean, the 15 books that covered pretty much every genre you would want. There were sci-fi books, horror books, comedy books, superhero books, crime books. I mean, really, it's, it's, like I said, a credit to these creators that there is so much diversity out there right now. Um, the other thing that really impressed me was um, just the sense of, I guess, fellowship yeah. um, amongst the creators and community. amongst the community. Yeah, yeah. there's a real, um, a real seems like a real bond between the creators, and it was just great to see them out there. You know, there was no egos. It was everybody talked up each other's books. Exactly right. Um, like yeah. actually, the 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 man covering the actual sales at the table was uh, Ben Hutchins, who uh, the creator of Handball Heaven and Walking to Japan. Yep, and um, he. Uh, went out of his way to point out other titles. Like I didn't yeah. buy all fifteen titles, but he was like, "It's he's like, oh, there's always there's also this one, which is an excellent, you know, flip through yeah. and stuff." And I was like, and that was oh, I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, the, and the, that was great to see. Just all of the creators just supporting one another was fantastic. Um, and yeah, it was a really just created really great energy mm. for the event. Um, and I actually did buy all fifteen titles. There was a like a, a show bag. It was a special deal. Yeah, where they gave you 20% off, basically, if you bought all the books. And, uh, yeah, I thought it'd just be great to see really what was available and to support the local industry. Yeah. Well, you make more money than me, so <laughs> I couldn't afford all of them. Yeah. I, I, did, I did buy quite a lot. too much. I, I got, like, ten of them. Sorry? You're paying too much. <laughs> That's right. My contract is better than all of your contracts combined. <laughs> I wish to talk about this country. Um, I wasn't there yesterday, so I've got a couple of questions to ask. First of all, um, was there any indication as to why the numbers were up more this year than last? Like, as in, had anything happened? Was it just um, word well, of mouth? I, th- I think just word of mouth, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was organised pretty much the same way, but yeah. there was a, a Facebook page, and uh, yeah. um, we actually received a personal invitation because um, from Mr. Jason Franks, who was one of the creators. Um, who's also a uh, guest on the show. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, gracious enough to send us an invitation, and um, and yeah, we popped on down there. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was just uh, 
mainly just word of mouth and just more exposure. I mean, uh, All Star Comics is uh, going out of their way. They actually, I think they actually sponsored the event in some way. Yeah. Um, I think it was mentioned that they. Well, they've um, done a great job it. at. Uh, displaying these books and trying to draw attention to them at their store and uh, I think yeah. Uh, yeah that's great to see you know, yeah. it's really good to see the, really the comic cool. stores getting behind these creators as well yeah and also and Minotaur I think also is also uh, pushing it Australian mm. local stuff quite heavily so. yeah. well, Classic does Classic Comics yeah. does as well they have um, Australian comics right by mm. the register that um, oh that's pretty cool yeah. um, yeah. so oh, yeah, it's, it's right next to the register quite, isn't yeah, it? quite yeah, noticeable yeah. so you see it as you walk in point yeah. of sale and um, trade hmm um, but um, I think also the other thing too there were more books this year and uh, when Jason was a guest on the show a few podcasts ago he did actually talk about uh, just how quickly uh, the Australian local industry is uh, growing and yeah. how many more creators are getting involved you've got the and, magazine out in the news agents and yeah stuff, yeah so, so he, yeah. he talked a lot about that and, and you could see that I mean I think uh, you know you've, you've you know, nine books last year, fifteen books this year. You know, hopefully, when same, they do big ass three, there'll be you like know, twenty or so, twenty same. or more yeah. books. Then, you know, so hopefully, we'll just see that continued growth. Was it the same? Was it some of the same? Was it all the same creators from last year coming back with um, an extra nine? Yeah, well, Kellen Roo has made its uh, re- triumphant return. return. Um, so I don't think I'm pretty sure he wasn't it. Um, some yeah, there were there were some new creators, um, yeah. some returning creators. Uh, really, just a combination. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, talking about the creators. So yeah. So we had um, uh, Bobby N, who released a compilation of his earlier work that he was quite embarrassed about, but you know, put it out there. Um, of course, he was uh, he's the author of Digested, the number one book of 2011. Um, uh, uh, ben Hutchins, as we already mentioned, uh, did a book called You Stink and I Don't, issue 10, um, which has an interesting cover that Crystal quite likes. Yeah, the picture on the cover looks like um, something I've seen in an Australian history book from a political cartoon drawn in the during the World War Two era. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that he that he's paying homage to something like that. Yeah, it, does, um, it definitely looks like it. He's, yeah. he's got the two beer stones on the back. And... Uh, <laughs> Killaroo Gang War uh, came out. Uh, also, uh, Blood Across Broadway from by uh, Mr. Frank Candelaro. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting Frank at the event, and, and uh, he's just an out, outright legend. And, uh, <laughs> he was just a very friendly, very pleasant man. And yeah, uh, very much so. And uh, his comic is and all, awesome. also producing fantastic work. Um, yeah, we he, we talked a little bit uh, on a previous show about his his previous book, Doctor Zeitpunk. And, uh, yeah, he's followed up very nicely with the... Uh, well, Dr. Zodpunk was a Blood Metropolis sort of style yeah. homage, uh, whereas uh, Blood Across Broadway is Nosferatu. Yeah. And uh, it's just... But done in a way that you just... It's it's impossible to describe just how bizarre and creative and wonderful this book it is, was. It's brilliant, brilliant stuff, and uh, check it out. It's, yeah, definitely. It's awesome stuff. And we uh, hopefully will have um, Frank on the show at some point where we need for, for an interview. Uh, we also got uh, The Time Being, Issue 4, uh, by Jim Breach and Trev Wood. Um, Cranburn, Issue 2. Uh, so Issue 2 has come out, which is uh, written and illustrated by Ben Michael Byrne. Mm. Um, uh, once again, I got to meet uh, Ben, lovely man, and uh, it's good to see Cranburn just uh, kicking goals. I mean, it's it's a uh, big success. Yeah, comic, actually. it's from, great to see. From that, web uh... to publishing, and uh, away it goes. Mm. It's, good, it's great stuff. Um, Terror Magazine from uh, Black House which is edited by uh, Mr. Jason Franks 
which has a selection of uh, science fiction type stories in there um, by various people with of course Jason in there as well uh, Criminal Element also edited by Mr. Jason Franks and once again lots of other other people involved mm. Bruce Bruce Mutard it's good to see these uh, it's good to see some anthology books out there yeah, uh, I'm really always a big fan of anthology books yeah well it gives you a good idea of just the uh, the depth of talent that we have out there at the moment yeah, um, just to be pleased to know there's a Mr. There's a Mr. Black. There's a McBlack story a in McBlack. there. McBlack. There is indeed. <laughs> looking forward to we're looking forward to more McBlack as always. No gun dog though. No, no gun dog. I must admit I was a bit uh, <laughs> a little disappointed, but I also know that uh, Jason is actually working on another full McBlack graphic novel, and Gun Dog's going to be there. Gun Dog should have his own one shot. He should. <laughs> gun Dog, greatest character ever. <laughs> An offshoot one shot for Gundog. Exactly right. right. And uh, yeah, so that's just a small selection uh, yeah. that I've managed to pick up. But uh, Richard, as you said, you got uh, the whole yeah. pocket and caboodle. I got all 15 books and uh, very much looking forward to reading them. I've, I've started the, the task, but um, I'll also be reviewing all 15 books in a couple of posts on the website um, at www.nerdculturepodcast.com starting next week. So uh, yeah, keep a lookout for those and... Uh, yeah, read the reviews. If anything sounds like it might be along your alley, please check it out uh, and support the Australian comic industry. Yeah, like I said, they're, they're available from uh, all of Melbourne's comic retailers, essentially, but uh, it's All-Star, Minotaur, Classic, and I believe Comics Are Us. I've yeah. been there for a while, but I, I mean, I have to assume they're there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, check them out, especially the Blood Across Broadway one. But it's, it's seriously it's awesome stuff. <laughs> We'll have a uh, little bit. I actually managed to speak to Jason at the event. I didn't get the, all the interviews that I wanted because it was quite noisy there, so I do apologise for the background noise uh, in this little bit here. But just a, a couple of minutes with uh, Jason, who was kind enough to talk with us. And like I said, uh, hopefully coming soon we'll have some interviews with um, Frank, uh, Ben Hutchins, and Bobby Ann, who was also kind enough to volunteer his time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not too sure when those will happen, but it will happen at some point. So here's Jason. Okay, David here. I'm at Big Ass 2. It's a huge crowd. I've got uh, Mr. Jason Franks sitting across from me. Jason, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you, David? I'm very good, thank you. you excited by the turnout? Very excited. It's very, it's very impressive. I wasn't here for uh, Big Ass 1, unfortunately, but uh, Big Ass 2 has got a huge crowd and uh, some really excellent books on display. Oh, thanks. You know, Big Ass 1 really surprised us in terms of the uh, numbers that showed up. So we have a bigger venue this time, and uh, I don't know exactly how the attendance compares because it's a different venue, but, you know, we're well pleased with the number of people that have come. And, uh, it's a, and just a great selection of books, including your own. What do you tell us a bit about the, the ones that you've actually got on? I have two books, both published by Black House Comics. first one is called Criminal Element, and that is a cross-genre anthology of crime stories. Uh, so stories about criminals and uh, criminal activity. Did I say what the book's called? The book's called Criminal Element. He did. Is it edited by yourself? Uh, it's edited by me, uh, with stories by Russell Lazar and Marvin Mann, Marvin Mann and Jason Copland, uh, me and Dave Gutierrez, me and Brendan Halliday, Jan Scherpenhausen and Lee Kilbour, Bernard Callio and Alexis Fischler, um, Dino Caruso and Jay Corim, and Dino has another story with Vic Malhotra. Uh, tons of cool stuff. Wow, big one. And the other book is? The other book is Terror Magazine, which is a newsagent magazine of serial genre fiction. 
So we have like a science fiction series, serial, samurai serial, uh, crime, horror, some sort of post-apocalyptic stuff. We have a uh, illustrated pro serial as well, um, and uh, some really some really interesting names in that book: Tom Bonin, Ben Michael Byrne, who you'll know from Cranburn. So a lot of people. A whole bunch of creators in the book. Talking about uh, Ben, he's here with uh, Cranburn issue two. Ben Byrne is here with Cranburn issue two. Yeah, Bobby's here with uh, Digested and also his, his omnibus sort of. Bobby has uh, no map yes, Digested two and No Map but Not Lost, which is a collection of his early work. Yeah. And some not quite so early work. <laughs> he's also got uh, New Killaroo. Brand new Killaroo. We have Zombolet by Scarlett Puccini. Ben Hacho's new book You Stink and I Don't number ten. Um, I don't have the list here with me but there is a ton of new stuff 15 new titles 15 new titles great stuff and also just a great speech from uh, Bernard Calio introducing you all and telling some uh, very humorous stories involving uh, blimps with bums and uh... yeah Bernard's <laughs> kind of the number one guy for um, I guess you'd say comics promotion in Australia he's the editor of Tango um, he is the creator of um, Mungle and um just any time you need a, someone to speak about comics, Bernard's the number one guy. Hey, what's the nickname you gave him? Svengali. <laughs> I said he's the Svengali of Australian comics. Freed stuff. And he kind of took to that a little more than I'd expected. So now I just call him Sven. And he doesn't like that as much. <laughs> I, picked up to, I picked up the comics that you did. I haven't had a chance to read them yet because it's, uh, it's quite wet here <laughs> where we are. I'm too scared to pull them out of my bag, but uh, I'll definitely check them out. But uh, thanks very much for talking to us, Jason. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Waldo. <laughs> I can call you Waldo, right? You can call me whatever you want. Thank you very much, David. <laughs> thanks, mate. Take care. Okay, so that wraps up our uh, look at the Big Ass 2 comic event. Looking forward to Big Ass 3. Absolutely. Okay, coming up next, coming soon. On March 8, we get 50-50, John Carter and Coriolanus. Coriolanus? Coriolanus. Coriolanus, uh, which was meant to come out two weeks ago, which we recorded in, in our last podcast, but it's been pushed back to March 8. Uh, and then on March 15, we get uh, 21 Jump Street, which we were discussing previously. The less uh, said about that, the better. Uh, the return of Nick Cage's Ghost Rider in Spirit of Vengeance. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> he really, enjoy, he really enjoys the role. I mean, he, and I, and I appreciate that. I appreciate his enthusiasm. If it's anything like the first film, I'm not interested in seeing it. If it's anything like the first film, we'll be, we'll be sitting there wondering how can Melbourne look so much like Chicago? <laughs> and The Awakening, which uh, sounds pretty cool bit of uh, old school Hammer type stuff. Ah, uh, that's the Rebecca Hall horror movie, isn't it? Where yeah. Where she up at the orphanage. Yeah. No, the school, sorry. The school, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. She's that actually looks pretty she, interesting. She plays like an, an occult debunker. Yeah. And of course, uh, yeah. it turns out that it's all true. Hey, speaking of Hammer, still going. Mm-hmm. And have uh, the woman in black. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Has uh, just become Daniel their most... Radcliffe. Yeah, has just become their most successful film of all time. I know. So, hey. Only mainly because Daniel's in it. Yeah. But hey... Go Hammer Studio yeah. is still, still kicking on. It's pretty cool. Can't touch this. <laughs> uh, and NCP's favourite cinema, The Asta, has a usual great selection of films showing in the next two weeks, including a Batman double on the 7th, uh, where Batman begins in Dark Knight, and a Hitchcock double on the 17th, Rear Window and Vertigo. Great double. It is. Check out uh, their full listings at www.astatheatre.net.au. 
So that's it for episode 19. Don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at, nerd, at nerdculturecast. And of course you can leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, talking about comments on the on the um, website, I would very much appreciate some uh, comments on the on the Hue reviews, which are going strong, like every week. Every week, one, and continuing your when... ridiculously ambitious mission to. Uh, <laughs> We're what nine review. nine down now, and um, counting. Yeah, we just did um, the rescue. That's right. It's the introduction of the new companion. Nine down. 4,552 to go. <laughs> yes, it's 26 years worth of television, including the Colin Baker era. It's a harrowing task, but <laughs> I can do it. do it. I can do it. It's <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they're cool. So next episode uh, is our long-awaited Star Wars special. Uh, the next episode will focus on the original saga, followed by the next episode after that on the prequel saga. So that's pretty exciting. Star Wars obviously a big uh, factor in our lives because we're all nerds. And uh, our chance to give you our opinions. Looking forward to it. Awesome. I guess I kind of am, you know, it being my favourite film and all. <laughs> well, he's already spoiled it for you. Now you know what Luke's, <laughs> Luke's opinion of the movie is. Just before we go, Rich, I would like to make a special mention. Just want to mention that uh, just recently, these past couple of weeks, that uh, classic comic artist John Severin has passed away at the age of 90. Uh, Severin was one of the original EC artists in the 1950, one of the groundbreaking crew of artists that just changed the nature of comic art. Um, in the 60s, he worked extensively for Marvel, um, especially on books like uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, and on um, a lot of the Western books as well at the time. Um, more recently, his uh, last published work was... No, the second um, Witchfinder General uh, miniseries by Mike Mignola and um, John Arcudi, um, which is sort of a play on his you know weird Western yeah. um, horror um, roots. Yeah. I just want to mention also that he's one of the few comic book creators who survived the complete rout of the comic book industry, um, thanks to Wortham and Huack in the 50s. Yeah. Um, he actually managed to sustain a career when so many other comic book professionals um, left the industry or were kicked out Thanks to, you know, basically what... Seduction of the Innocent. Seduction yeah, of the, innocent. the Comic Code Authority. and um, Yeah, so a, a sad day indeed to see one of the, you know, one of the last sort of surviving legends of of that classic era of comics uh, pass away. So uh, thank you very much for listening to episode 19. Thank you, crew, Richo. Yeah, I'm here next week too. I might pay you for next episode. <laughs> Look, if, if the money, if the check clears, I'll be here for the next podcast. Luke? I'll be here waiting for my clone to come in and kill me and take my place. <laughs> We're all waiting for that. Don't be like that. Don't Look at him, he's so cute. What? <laughs> of course, he's not referring to the demon-like goatee or horn sticking out of my head, but... A lovely crystal. I'll be here waiting to spot the differences in the new cloned look. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's no goatee and no horns. It'll be like a body session no, that, type that's, deal. That's a mirror universe look. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, th- thank you for me. Bye. <laughs>